You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Awesome. Well, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to the Old Testament to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. 1 Chronicles chapter 11. We're going to look today at three battlegrounds. So I wonder if we can say together three battlegrounds. We're going to consider in particular one of David's mighty men, uh, Benaiah. But before we get to him, a, a little word of context here in 1 Chronicles 11. It's a parallel account of David's life that you'll find in 1 and 2 Samuel uh, in 1 Chronicles. And uh, here in David's life, David, the man after God's heart, has been anointed a king over Judah, his tribe at Hebron. And then the rest of the tribal leaders of Israel come to David at Hebron and say, did not the Lord prophesy that you would be shepherd over his people? And they call him uh, and anoint him to be king over the whole nation. And he's king over the whole nation. And from there, they go up and they take hold of Jerusalem, which was occupied by the Jebusites. And they kick out the Jebusites, even though the Jebusites say, you'll never get in here. And it becomes the city of David, and it becomes the center of worship and the establishment of the kingdom in that, in that era and in that stage. In verse 10, which is on, on the screen, it says this, there were chiefs among David's mighty warriors. There will always be chiefs. There will always be people in, in a season who who serve the most, who, who lead the most, who give the most, who care and pastor the most, who disciple the most. There, there will be those who, who do exploits for God inside of church context and outside in the marketplace. There will be those whose heads come up above the parapet. And we're going to look at one of them today. But it says, they together with all Israel. I wonder if we can say all Israel. There were chiefs among David's mighty warriors. They, together with all Israel, gave his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land as the Lord had promised. And I say this because we believe that the stories of the Bible are not there to give us information about history, but there to instruct us about our lives. Jesus said, you should pray this, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we believe God is bringing his kingdom in the earth through his, uh, his one resolution for the world, which is his people, the church. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell. They'll not prevail. That They won't hold against the unstoppable church that I will build in order that the kingdom would come. And our great passion here, along with other churches, in partnership with other churches in the city, is that we would see the kingdom come, which means that, that his, his rule and his reign come which means that his ways come, that his love, his truth, his power, his gospel. You know, when you go into your place of work and you stand tall and you shine for Jesus, the kingdom comes right there. When in your place of study, you stand up with a, with a heart of integrity or you, you share the gospel or you offer to pray for somebody, the, the kingdom can come right there when you make a godly choice in your own life, in your household. That's where the kingdom comes. And Jesus says it's, it's like yeast. It'll just work. You can't even see it. And so the kingdom comes. And we believe actually the establishment of the kingdom under David is like a picture of what God is doing in the earth. And it says, as the Lord had promised, I believe God has spoken that he is building his church to, to the glory of his name in the earth. I also believe he's spoken some things over this house that while in partnership with others, that this house, by the grace of God, would even be a blessing to the nations 
as the Lord had promised. And yet, notice that although the Lord promises it, he doesn't do it by himself. He does it through his people. And it says that there were chiefs, but it says together with all Israel. And the truth is, it's never the talents of the few, but the sacrifice of the many and the commitment of the whole that sees the kingdom come. And I want to encourage us to to be playing our part. If you're newly joining us here at CLM, to not stand just on the periphery and seek to, to be a receiver of something, but to actively play your part as a kingdom bringer and see how the Lord might use you. It goes on in the chapter to talk about those that were chiefs. It talks about the 30, David's 30. It talks about the three among the 30, but also talks about all Israel. But even among the chiefs, because, you know, I think there was something in my heart when I got saved that I wanted my life to count in the kingdom of God. It's like, oh, I'd like to be in the 30. Not that I want my name in lights, but I want to do something with God, with my life for God. Does, Does anyone know what I'm talking about? An aspiration, and, uh, and yet here's the thing, because you might think, oh, I don't know if I'm among the 30, but if you, if you go to the account in 2 Samuel 23, you'll, say, uh, it, you'll see that it says, here are the 30, but then at the end of it, it says, actually, there were 37. And here uh, in 1 Chronicles 11, it lists those that were mighty, and actually, there were 48. But with one of the Medina, it says, and the 30 that were with him, and the point I want to make today is, if you've got a heart to do something for God, there's room for you. God might have uh, have expected a 30, but he's happy for there to be a 48 and the 30 that were with him. And actually, there's room in the kingdom for us to dare to trust him greatly, to step out and do something with our lives for him. And the number can get extended. And my prayer is that we would be a church filled with, if I can say, chiefs, those those mighty warriors, those that are doing great things for God in, in the places where they live, in their places of work, in their places of study, in their homes, seeing the kingdom come. We believe this is God's plan. This is his intent. And then it goes on to talk about some of the mighty men and some of the things that they did. And you get down to verse 22. We're going to read some verses here. It speaks about Benaiah. Verse 22 to 25 says, Benaiah, son of Jehoda, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits or seven and a half feet tall. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club, and he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoda. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. You know, wouldn't you put him in charge of your bodyguard? I mean, this, this is uh, a mighty man doing mighty exploits. I think I'd, I'd have Benaiah in charge of my bodyguard. A few weeks ago, I met up with the man of God that we served for many years in Nottingham, David Shearman, and uh, a father and a friend to me now. And uh, we were talking about various things, the things of God, and we were talking about this verse and what it might mean and You see, we believe that the Bible is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, that the Holy Spirit will illuminate it to us and bring revelation and we can see things that are principles that will help us to understand the context of what is going on in our lives and how we might be equipped to walk in the things of God. And we were talking about this and so I want to talk today about these three enemies that Benaiah had victory over and what they might mean for us, three battlegrounds. 
Just before I dive into that, there was someone in the first service came up to me at the end and said, while we were singing Holy, Holy, uh, they, they had a, a picture, and it was a picture of a, of a massive tank, and the tank went onto this battleground. He had no idea I was going to talk about battlegrounds, and it went onto this battleground, uh, and, it, and it annihilated an enemy, and then it came to a halt, and the hatch came up, and Jesus came up out of the hatch, and he said, I was like, I was thought I'd eaten too much cheese until that the message came. And then it's, I think it's encouragement for God's people that although there are battlegrounds in our lives, and we're going to talk today about battles we might face, we also need to understand that if God is for us, who can be against us? That we have help at hand. We have one who is with us and who is for us and is fighting for us. So three, three battlegrounds. Well, firstly, uh, the Bible says that Benaiah struck down Moab's best men, two of Moab's best men. Moab had descended from Lot, and although there were times when Israel had friendly relations with Moab, mostly in Israel's history, uh, Moab was an enemy. And so we have to look and say, well, what, what does Moab represent? There are a number of things that Moab might represent, but mo probably the most notable impact of Moab was that when the people of Israel tried to enter into Canaan, when they tried to enter into the promised land, when they tried to get into what God had promised for them, the fulfillment of prophecy, the, the, the fulfillment of their future, they were resisted by Moab. And I want to say to us today that, that we have an enemy that will try to rob you of your future. We have to be alert. There is an enemy who will try to rob you of your future. You see, if you go to the background, you'll see in Numbers 21 to 24, as Israel were positioned, they moved out of the wilderness. They were heading towards the promised land. And the land of the Amorites and the land of the Moabites was ahead of them. They'd got some good history with the Amorites and the Moabites. And so they sent word ahead and said, would you give us passage through your country? In Numbers 21, and they said, we won't eat your crops. We won't even drink from your wells. Just let us pass through until we get to where we're headed. But the Amorites came against him. The king of the Amorites mustered his army to oppose Israel. And the king of the Moabites, uh, Balak, he hired a diviner to put a curse on the people of Israel. There was resistance against their future. And here, Benaiah slays two of Moab's best men. And I wonder if we might dare to see that this could be a picture, that there is an enemy that will try to rob you of your future. You see, often there will be resistance before breakthrough. Often there will be opposition before possession. If you want to do something great for God and begin to move towards your territory, begin to step out and closer to the fulfillment of prophecy over your life, let me tell you, it's very unlikely that the enemy's just going to roll over and give you safe passage. And I'm telling you this not to frighten you because God is with you, but in order to potentially give you a context for what might be going on in your life. Because some of us, we've prayed some prayers, we've positioned ourselves to head into what God has got for us, but then we're facing some resistance. We're facing some opposition. This can happen. This happens to the people of God. This happens as a pattern. The Bible says, Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
I know most of us, we know that verse. We, we hear that verse. That verse gets quoted. And yet, do we really understand what Paul is warning us about, what he is calling us to, that we might be those that learn to put on the full armor of God and stand firm in the midst of opposition? To learn to pray in the Spirit on every occasion. You know, looking back on our journey, probably a couple of years before we moved here to lead this church, you know, we weren't looking to go anywhere other than where we already were. But I wonder whether the enemy has been around long enough to be able to see that there was something on our lives and we were getting ready to step into the next season which was about us coming here and by the grace of God serving here in leadership in order to raise up a church of hundreds of people to bring an impact to see the kingdom come, to see hundreds of lives impacted by the gospel, to see the power of God let loose. And we had a couple of years where, where we came under severe opposition. Where all sorts of things went off circumstantially. All sorts of things were happening in and around our lives. And, and at the time, I didn't have the context for what was going on. I learned to fight in that time. And let me tell you that if you're in one of those seasons, God will use it. God, God actually used the fight against the Amorites to train his people for the battles they were going to fight further down the line. As we heard already today, as we sung already today, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we don't need to be afraid, but sometimes we have to recognize there are things going on in our lives because we are facing resistance as we head towards our future. And looking back, I, I feel as though the enemy was trying to rob us of our confidence, was trying to discourage us from moving forward was trying to rob us of our voice. I can remember in that season, really feeling in my flesh, in myself, wanting to take a step back, wanting to take a step away from leadership, wanting to, to retreat from where I was, not push forward. But in that time, I had to learn to fight. I had to learn to pray with some fortitude and vigor by myself in the prayer room. I had to learn to raise my voice in prayer by myself, not in a prayer meeting. I had to learn to lift my voice and release a shout. I had to learn what it was to not throw away my confidence as Hebrews tells us we should do. And some of us, we have to learn in these seasons to push through and to press on. And I bring that word to encourage you. There might be some of you here today and you sense this is relevant for you. You don't need to be afraid. The Bible says that Benaiah struck down two of, the Moabite, of Moab's best men. Another translation, the, the literal, if you go back to the root, it really means lion-like. These were fierce warriors, but by the grace of God, Benaiah struck them both down. If you go back to Numbers and the story of Balak trying to put a curse on Israel, he hires this guy, Balaam, and Balaam tries to, to find something that he can bring as a curse. And God himself intervenes and speaks to this diviner and speaks a blessing over Israel. And what Balak has hired this diviner to put a curse, and he finds Balaam's blessing the people. And the thing is, they tried to put a curse on them. They found they were uncursable. I want to say to you today, you are uncursable. There might be an enemy coming against you, but in Jesus, if you are in Jesus, you are uncursable. No matter what the enemy might try and throw upon you, it will not stick, it cannot land. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, if you're in Jesus, you're uncursable. My friend, you, you can see a victory. 
You can see that God is fighting for you. But sometimes we have to be alert. There is an enemy trying to rob us of our future, trying to resist us getting to where God wants us to get to. There is another place, another season, another step. The call on your life has not yet been fulfilled and you move towards it and there's some resistance and some opposition. But I tell you, you can break through. You can slay Moab's best men. And I wonder before we move this message on to another point, if this is relevant for you. If we might just take a moment to pray for you. Maybe there are some in this meeting here today, and this is like your context. This is your world right now. You know, what I'd love to do is to pray for you. Because I believe God is going to give you a victory. He's going to enable you to stand. He's going to enable you to push through. And if that's relevant, that's that's a now word for you. I'm going to invite you to stand right where you are. We're going to pray for you right across this room. If someone's standing near you and you know how to pray, reach reach out a hand towards them. Begin to lift your voice. Jesus, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are with us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? And we stand together with our brothers and sisters in this moment as they face resistance and opposition. And we pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. We pray, God, you would bring them through. We pray, God, they would know your strength. They they would know what it is to be a mighty man and a mighty woman of God in this moment. To lay hold of what you've got, not to shrink back, but to press through. I pray, Lord, you would train and you would teach your people to press through in you, to learn how to fight at another level and not to retreat, but to come through to a place of freedom, to come through to a place of victory, come through to a place of possession and laying hold of what you have. And we speak your blessing over your people, where maybe even an enemy has tried to put something against and on, we speak the blessing and the favor of God. We speak where there's been resistance, free passage and open doors in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Do take take your seat. Secondly, we read about Benaiah and the Bible says that uh, he went down in a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Wow. Mark Batterson has, has written a book entitled In a Pit on a, with a Lion on a Snowy Day. It's kind of popularized this verse. I've not read it, but I've heard of it. Who fancies it? Who fancies the, the job with a lion in a pit on a snowy day? You know, I, I, if, if Moab represents a robbing of the future, a resistance to the future, I... I think this is about a now moment. You know, if you're down in a pit with a lion, I've never done it. I don't suppose there's anyone in the room who's done it, but I can tell you it's kind of kill or be killed. It's a very present moment. Who knows? You're going to have your wits about you if you're in a pit with a lion. It's now. And I think there's something about the now of life, about the present, that there can be a battle over our present. There is an enemy who wants to restrict your present. You know, for some, it could mean the, the issues, the noise of circumstance, the distractions, the worry, the anxiety, the fear, the things that can rob you of the joy of today and the blessings that actually are in your world. You can find yourself rehearsing some of the things that, that are a struggle and actually miss the joy of what you have. But, you know, as I read this, I, I find something more powerful than that because here... 
we find that the issue was unpalatable. It wasn't just that he fought and slew a lion. The Bible says David slew a lion, a lion and a bear. But it gives us the detail that it's in a pit and it's on a snowy day. And I'd like to suggest there are things in our lives that, that are unpalatable. There are things that we don't want to go down to. The Bible says, he, but he went down. Come on, say went down. He went down. There are things in our lives that can restrict us in our present, and yet we can be prone to procrastinate. We can be prone to put them off. We can be prone to not go down and deal with them. There can be things that actually they, they limit us enjoying life to the full, John 10.10, 10, that God intended for us. There can be things that, that we know we need to deal with, and yet we put off dealing with them. But Benaiah didn't put off dealing with them. If you Google it, you'll find that in Israel, there's normally one or two snowy days in the year. It's not a, it's not a snowy place in the world. He could have put it off, but he dealt with it. The Bible doesn't tell us why there ended up being a lion to be dealt with, but you kind of get the idea. I don't know, maybe there was a pit that was dug for some other purpose, and a lion kind of fell into it, and it, it needed dealing with, and Benaiah says, I'll deal with it. He could have put it off. He could have said, let's just let it die. Let's, let's leave it and see what happens. Let's send somebody else down. Let's, let's wait till the weather improves. But actually, he got on and he dealt with it. Sometimes I'm asked to, to speak to, to church leaders, and one of the messages I sometimes bring is about dealing with issues. I call it deal or no deal. Because I tend to find, as I speak to leaders, what can separate the men from the boys in church leadership is those who deal with what needs to be dealt with and those who don't. And there's a whole number of reasons why people don't deal with stuff. And so I ask the question, you know, will, will you contend in prayer? Will, will you guard the people? Will you lead and bring vision and make the decisions you need to make? Will you disciple and raise up people? And will you deal with yourself? But I also make a point that naming the issue isn't dealing with the issue. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, you'll find Eli is the prophet over Israel at that time, and his sons are wayward. In fact, it's, it's horrendous to read of it because the Bible says that, um, that they held contempt for the offering of the Lord. It says they had no respect for the Lord. And Eli has to do something about it, and he calls them in and he speaks to them about it, but it says they did nothing different. Let me tell you, although Eli spoke about it, he didn't actually deal with it. You deal with something when it's sorted. The issue carried on. And some of us, we're good at naming the issue, but not dealing with the issue. Some of us, we talk to people about our issue. We go and, and get counseling about our issue, but the issue's still there. We haven't yet dealt with the issue, and I'm not seeking to be unkind. I know this is a bit heavy for an August message. Maybe you should be preaching happy, happy messages. But you know, I'm passionate that you would fulfill everything that God has for you and that I would fulfill everything God has for me. And so we have to be ready to deal with the things in our lives that need dealing with. We have to be willing to go down to them and sort them out. It's not palatable sometimes, but there can be things preventing us from moving on in God in our lives. You know, sometimes I, I speak to people who need to deal with what they're looking at, and yet they fail to do anything adequately, fail to become accountable, or take the necessary action to move from losing a, fighting a losing battle to fighting a winning battle into a place of freedom. There could be things we need to sort out. For some of us, it's, 
It's the rhythms and rest of our lives. For some, it might be the, the use of loose language in a place of work. And we know it's not right. We know it's not fitting, but we, we haven't dealt with it yet. For some of us, it can be the use of money. It's great that we're able to run the Cat Money Management course before the summer, and we'll look to run it again soon. For some of us, it can be addictive behavior around our lives. For some, maybe gambling, maybe an approach to alcohol. For some, maybe historic pain that we know we need to process, and yet we haven't yet processed it. We haven't dealt with it. It's still there. It's our issue. It's our baggage. But we haven't actually dealt with it. I want to tell you, whatever, whatever it is you're carrying, Jesus is able to help you be free. Let me say it again. Jesus is able to help you be free. I'll say it again. Jesus is more than able to help you to be free. But we have to be willing to deal with it. You might say, you don't know about my situation. Sure, I don't, but I I know there's nothing too big for him. Nothing. There's nothing too big. And actually, you'll find that you're not the only one who's ever walked in the path that you're walking in. Others have walked it too and have come through because God has delivered them. Our God is a deliverer. For some, it can be our devotional lives or habits we need to break or sexual activity outside of marriage. It can be what we eat or the organization of our lives. But these things, they can exist in our world and we know we need to deal with them and we put it off. And there's an enemy that wants us to put it off because he wants to restrict our present. He wants to hold us back from moving into the things that God wants us to move into. My question is, will you go down to it? The Bible says he He went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion by the grace of God. Let me tell you, the odds were stacked against him. If you were placing a bet on who was going to win that, I tell you what, the lion would come out favorite every time. But thanks be to God, there was a man of God, a mighty man of God, someone that David, the man after God's own heart, put in charge of his bodyguard, who went down in the strength of God and dealt with it. And I wonder if we can pray for a moment right across this room. Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads? Because there are some people who need to deal with some things. And this moment won't deal with it, but this moment can make a decision that says, God, with your help, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to go down. You might need to speak to somebody. You might need to make yourself accountable. You, You might need to tell somebody the decision that you've made and ask them to pray for you and stand with you. But above all, you need to talk to God about it and and allow him to bring you out. And if this is speaking to someone in this room today, and I suggest it might be speaking to many, I'm just going to ask you to acknowledge that by raising your hand with eyes closed and, and heads bowed right across this room and allow me to pray for you. Father, I pray, would you help all of us, Lord, that are raising our hands, we have things in our lives to deal with. Lord, the things that would restrict our present, the, the enemies that, the, the things in our lives that the enemy would want to keep in place, but we know we need to deal with. And I, we pray, would you help us? We, I pray for your people, every brother, every sister that acknowledges there's something. And I pray, Lord, from this day, they would resolve what needs resolving and, and be brought into a place of victory and a place of freedom in Jesus' name. I pray, God, you deliver 
deliver every person that responds. I pray, give us the resolve to when we walk out of this place, not to lose it in the moment, but to move forward until we have dealt with what needs dealing with for the honor of your name, that we might truly become the people you're calling us to become. In your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And thirdly, we have to turn to the Egyptian. The Bible says of Benaiah that he struck down an Egyptian who was seven and a half feet tall. He had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand. That's the same description that is given to Goliath's spear, this massive spear in his hand. But the Bible says Benaiah snatched the spear out of his hand and killed the Egyptian with his own spear. You know, you probably can see where this is going. If there's a battle for our future and if there's a battle for our present, we have to recognize there's an enemy that's trying to remind us of our past. You see, Israel had been slaves in Egypt. It was part of their history that had potential to bring shame. The figure of the Egyptian potentially was to remind Israel of their failure, to rehearse their limitation, to recall to them their oppression as they sought to extend the kingdom. You know, the truth is most of us have a story. Most of us have some mistakes that we've made. I know I do, and I'd be surprised if there's a person in this room who, who isn't aware of some things that, that we got wrong. And the enemy will want to come and sometimes remind us of that. For some of us, the, the place that we came from, our background, can be a reminder. And the enemy will try and speak over us and, and, and allow there to be some limitation that we feel on the inside about ourselves, which doesn't line up to what God says about us. I'm amazed as I talk to people, it can be the one thing that in their lives was, was maybe not as strong as other people, but it becomes like a giant to them. You know, I meet people who are incredibly bright and able and capable and talented and gifted, but they never had a university education, and, and, it, and it sounds like a giant over them. It's an issue to them. It's not an issue to anybody else. There's nobody else who would see them or even think it. It's just, it's just not relevant at all, but to them it's relevant. And sometimes the enemy will, will remind us of something, remind us of our journey, remind us of our background, remind us of our mistakes, maybe remind us of things that happened to us. You know, as Israel was slaves in Egypt, there was something that happened to them, but there's something through that that was on them. There's that incredible story in Joshua chapter 5 at Gilgal where the people of God are literally about to go and take Jericho. They've already had a victory of crossing over the Jordan River and the Lord stops them in their tracks and says, you need to renew covenant here. He says to Joshua, take out the flint knives. You need to circumcise a generation that has not been circumcised in the desert. And he does it and they renew covenant with God. And God says something profound. He says, see today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Wow. He says there was there's something on the people that I'm not going to let them go in and possess the promised land until we've dealt with it. These are my people. We need to renew covenant. And he calls it the reproach of Egypt. The shame of yesterday. See today, I have rolled away the shame of yesterday. This is what God is about. Notice there's a renewal of covenant. We have to come with our hearts before God. But he wants to roll away the shame and the reproach of yesterday. But there is an enemy that will want to remind us of our past. We'll want to keep dragging us back there. And we have to learn to take the spear out of his hand and to deal with him. To change our confession. To speak a new word. 
No, when the enemy tries to remind you of your mistake, you need to remind him of God's grace and his forgiveness. When the enemy tries to come against you, remind you of your background and where you came from, you need to tell him where God has brought you to and where God is taking you to. When he tries to remind you of your history, remind him of your future. That your citizenship is in heaven. That you have a new place. That you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That you might have come from somewhere, it doesn't matter. You are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are in a new place, but we have to learn to take the story, the confession, the words out of the enemy's hand and make a different confession. Hello? There's an enemy that will try and keep us somewhere that we've already moved on from, or maybe we're trying to move on from, that will want to cause us to step back, hold back, or turn back. But I want to tell you, my friend, the Lord is with you. In Jesus, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. As I prayed about this, I sensed there was something significant about the size of this Egyptian. And it occurred to me, I I saw in my spirit a moment where this seven and a half foot Egyptian towers over Benaiah and Benaiah is actually in his shadow. And I felt there were some people, you're, you're living in the shadow of the reminder of your past. Maybe your past mistakes. Maybe your Maybe a failure, maybe something that happened to you and it's, it's like a shadow. It's like, you're, it's like you're standing with a shadow over you. But I believe that just as Benaiah took hold of that spear and he sank it into the Egyptian, the Egyptian fell and he was no longer in the shadow. I believe today God wants to bring some people out of the shadow of the reminder of yesterday into the light of a new day where some of the things that you've been taunted about, that you've been held back by, a confession that maybe was once made over you and it's rang around the the inner talk, the self-talk of your being for way too long and it's time to change it. It's time to step out of it. I believe that God wants to deliver some people today that the shadow of the Egyptian is going to fall from your life. You're going to step out from it into something new. And I felt the Lord asked me to give opportunity for people to respond. I don't know how this might apply to you, a, a reminder of your past, a reminder of something maybe you did or was done to you or where you came from and it's held you back. It's been like a shadow on you and over you. But the Lord would want to call you today. And I'm talking today not about people who who haven't repented of mistakes. I'm talking about people who have repented of their mistakes and they've sought to move on and they, they know the theory of being forgiven, but somehow they're still living in the limitation of yesterday and God wants to call time on that. Says you've stayed there long enough. Come out from the shadows. You you no longer need to have a shadow upon you. This is a new day. And if this relates to somebody in this place, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray. I believe this is going to be a defining moment. Well, let's just take a, a moment to pray. Oh God, speak to some people, Lord. 
give some people the courage to stand who need to stand. Some people here, there's an internal wrestle. Don't let that hold you back. Hear the word of the Lord today that says this is a new day. This is a new day. If you need to stand, I'm going to invite you to stand with these that are already standing. There's a few more. There's a few more yet. I'm not looking to labor this, but I believe this is an important moment. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment. Let me give it to you up front so you know what you're praying. It's going to go like this. I have been forgiven. I am no longer in Egypt. I refuse to be held back. I have been delivered. I come out from the shadows by the grace of God. I will no longer listen to the voice of the accuser. He's been thrown down by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I step forward into a new day in Jesus' name. And I wonder if you're sitting down, if you can encourage those standing by praying this prayer. But if you stood up, I invite you to pray this prayer and to pray it with some conviction. To strike a word of truth where an enemy has tried to hold you back. Here we are together. I have been forgiven. I am no longer in Egypt. I refuse to be held back. I have been delivered. I come out of the shadows by the grace of God. I will no longer listen to the voice of the accuser. He has been thrown down by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. So I step forward into a new day in Jesus' name. Amen. Allow me to pray for you. One of the band come. Lord, I pray for every person that stands. I thank you, Lord, as they make this confession and declaration. Lord, you would cause it to be a defining moment that no longer would the voice of an enemy ring around their world, but they would step truly into the forgiveness you have bought for them. They would stand tall in you and they would step forward to everything that you have marked out for them. I pray, God, let us be a people that no longer have shadows over our lives, but walk fully into the light of your call and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.